I'm absolutely not happy and not fulfilled in life because I think it's a momentary place and time and you can't say I'm happy in life, you can only say I'm happy or fulfilled in the moment. Hi, I'm Rob Moore, I'm a podcaster, author and entrepreneur. Hi, I'm Shah, I'm an author, entrepreneur and a mentor. Hi, I'm Phil Graham, I'm an author, podcaster and entrepreneur. Hi, my name is Shay Alderson, I'm an author, podcaster and entrepreneur. So we're in Soho Farmhouse and we're going to chat shit. We're going to talk about things that are going on in the world, put the world to rights. We've got some heated discussions and topical points of view to be um, chewing the fat over. First question, are you all self-made? No one is self-made. It's a myth. It's a complete myth that anyone is self-made because you need a team, you need mentors, you need to raise finance. Finance comes from someone. So, no, I didn't have money that was given to me by my mum and dad, but I had an education that my mum and dad gave me, and that education I'm very grateful for. It paid a lot of money to put me through private school, but I don't think anyone's self-made. What, what are we defining as self-made? Yeah. As in make, being a millionaire on your own, through your own devices. So, so based on money? Like, or or well, let's achievement take, let's, of success? Yeah, let's take it on money. So I, I'm, I'm going to say I, I am 100% self-made. Are you not? Yeah, I am. How can you be? I'm going to tell you. How many staff you got? No, wait, wait. Let me finish. Oh, mate, I'm going to slap you already. <laughs> I'm 100% self-made, but not without support. So when you look at the definition of self-made, you can be vague about it and say, well, nobody could get anywhere. No man's an island unto themselves, right? So, of course, we've all had support along the way. But I think the definition of self-made is, did you start with nothing? And did anyone well, ever give you? Did anyone ever give you any money? Because I've never had anyone give me any money. So I've never had my private education. You've raised loads of money. You've raised loads no, of money not, in the VC world. Yeah, but not in this business. Not in this, and not in the businesses that I did before that. So when I started out, nobody gave me any money. So, you, so you're saying you have to be given money to not be self-made? No, I think to me, if you're not self-made, it means you've either inherited money, inherited contacts, inherited opportunities through your direct family or contacts of open doors, that you have been funded by external sources that aren't a bank loan that is solely reliant on you having to pay it back. So if, if you've gone to a bank, taken out a loan that's dependent on you paying it back and you're solely responsible for that, I consider you're still self-made. My point of view, self-made in respect to having the courage to actually lean into fear, lean into challenge and follow through with what you actually envisioned, but also from the point of if you run a business and you're relying on other people and team members, you're essentially having that team build the business for you. And a, a question that I asked my audience or my clients uh, a week ago at a live event was, do you spend more time training your clients or training your team? And essentially, a lot of time as a director or a CEO should be spent training the team because they essentially build the business. So I look at that through two lenses, self-made from the perspective of whether you've been given money or you haven't been given money, but you actually have the courage to follow through. And we know people that have had money given to them in terms of inheritance that haven't followed through to Silver Spoon and also people that have lent into that and utilized that. Um, so that's my two cents on that. So I'm defining self-made as being able to create success in something based on doing the work yourself. And that's not to say that, you know, as we all know, teamwork makes dream work. But every single person sitting on this table, if you stripped them down with everything, team, clothes, assets, it's only going to take a matter of months before you're going to be back. And that's my definition of self-made. 
Like a self-made person is able to be self-sufficient and get themselves back because of the skills, experience, and knowledge that's out there in the yeah. world that anybody can use because they've got Google and YouTube. But the difference is that those people apply it. And because they've applied it and got success with it, they've got the confidence with doing it. Therefore, start bollock naked, they'll be back very, very quickly. And I would argue that those characteristics would be true of the four of us, regardless of whether we had inheritance money or we had nothing. That wherever we might be on the spectrum of how we grew up or what advantages or disadvantages we had, those characteristics, if it was all stripped from us and we didn't have our contacts and we didn't have, we'd still be able to do it from yeah. scratch. I think to complement that, even putting a team together whilst the team do build the business, it's aligning them with the vision, connecting them, keeping the cadence, creating the culture, keeping the communication tight and actually getting them all to uh, align together to create a force. Or, it's like the, uh, I think he said, um, even if we visited Michael Gerber, he says, um, you know, your team, you know, create, uh, they, your team clean up the mess. Without you, there wouldn't be mess for them to clean up. Yeah. yeah. So we create the mess and they clean up. That was about so the, the, <laughs> the, uh, the cake shop, right? Kind of like the, yeah, something like that. Yeah. What fascinates me about this discussion is, when anyone talks about self-made, it's like, if you're not self-made, there's something wrong with you. It's, yeah. it's cool to be self-made, it's not cool to not be self-made. Yeah. Let me throw this on the table. Imagine you got given 100 million, yeah. and you've not been given the skills to handle that 100 million. That could be the biggest curse of your life. Oh yeah, for sure. And actually, dealing with that, yeah. and 10 years later having the skills yeah. to be self-sufficient, having been given 100 million, so it could be the biggest curse ever for, for to sure. be yeah, not self-made. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. And I don't think there should be a badge of honor for being self-made versus nobody wants to be seen that they're not self-made. It is what it is, right? I think it should be based on, on, on a more factual description, whether you've had advantages or you haven't had advantages. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. And, and you know, we probably all know someone, I certainly know someone, who was in exactly that situation and trying to live up to your parents who created that world is incredibly challenging and I think very, very difficult. You see it in the sports world, how many famous footballers, kids, their sons have tried to break into football and even if they're brilliant, if they're not as good as their dads, they're still not living, good living enough. Living in that shadow, I think, as, 100%, as, I you, said, that. as you said, Rob, um, a lot of but INSEE spring, springs to mind, and I don't know any of the sort, but imagine trying to become successful in business being Richard Branson's kids, yeah. and feeling like you want to make it on your own and be self-made, but you've always got this massive shadow all over you, with people saying, yeah, but if it wasn't for your dad, yeah. you wouldn't have any of this. So but, it's a very... Yeah. And what's wrong with leveraging your dad's name and your dad's exactly. contacts? Why is that wrong or bad? I think self-made is essentially aligning resources together, and then making things happen with that. So, you know, pulling a team together. Being personally pulling, responsible. Yeah, personally Full responsible. Action. I mean, I mean, building a team, at, yeah. you know, and it starts with an idea, and ideas don't make money, um, and then making an idea occur makes money, but making it reoccur creates wealth. So aligning those resources, people, systems, and everything together, I would agree that there's an element of individual effort initially in that that then is carried through other people, so. And maybe it's also picking up on what you just said, Rob, that personal responsibility that there's no one there to bail you out. Yes. Right? So, so you're not blaming your parents and you're blaming no, society no, and no. the place you were born in. No, 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 no. You're not, no, not at all. Uh, but, but at the end of the day, if the shit hits the fan, you've got to clear up the mess. 
Yeah. There's there's no one who's going to pay HMRC for you. Mm. There's no one who's going to pay your wage bill for you. Yeah. There's no one who's going to open the doors for you. When you've got a great idea, you've got a great concept, you're the one who's got to go knocking down the doors because you mm. don't have the old boys network or the old girls network. Mm. You have to do all of that legwork yourself. Yeah. To me, that's self-made. Yeah, agreed. So I was right. Next. Next Shut question. Right. Next question. What's the most amount of money you've ever made at once? Yeah, I've just finished a real estate project that's $27 million because it sounds more than pounds. I actually don't know what the exchange rate is. I did 127000 in the space of two hours at a live event. Yeah, well, I was actually going to say, no, this sounds quite, this sounds well. I was, I was going to say it was 128. <laughs> Doing my launch. It's yours. I so badly wish I was about to go first because it sounds like I'm fucking <laughs> trying to one up film. By one grad. But it was, it was 128 Media Mastery launch uh, 2020 um, with all the social media ones. So I did 250,000 sterling in 90 minutes and it wasn't my event, it was at a Brendan Bouchard event. He had just a stellar audience. It was the first time I'd ever spoken on stage. It was the first time I'd ever sold on stage. Five days before, when he was asking me what I was going to sell on stage, I thought he meant my books. So I was on a Zoom call with him saying, well, how many books do you want me to bring? And he was like, like basically like, who is this like stupid woman? Like, like he was like, no, Charles, you've got to have, you've got to have like a product. Like yeah, you yeah. have a 2,000 pound yeah, yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had five days to create a 2,000 pound program. Yeah. But it was at Earl's Court Ivers. There was like 900 people in the room. They were super qualified. They were all like super invested. He, three, three days. There was only three speakers and only me and one other person selling. It was the first time I'd ever sold from stage. And it was a success resources. We might have to edit this out because they'll, they'll then sue us, right? And then um, they told me that women can't sell from stage. So I was like, fuck you, watch what I'm going to go do. I stood on stage and I, I remember saying, so uh, I've been told that apparently um, women don't buy from women because you only like buying from men. And I've been told that men don't like buying from women because you don't think we're smart enough. So I just like to check in this audience. If I had a program or a product that could help you in your business, how many of you would buy from me? Uh, can all the women stand up? They all stood up. Can all the men stand up? They jumped on their chairs and then I did my pitch. Nice. Uh, probably the best close I think I've probably ever done. Nice. That's good. So Bob wins. Bob wins. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel a bit bad. But <laughs> my, my project took five years to develop, and yours are all done in like a day. Yeah, so if we, if we times it by probably uh, 60 days, you all win. If only we could all be doing that yeah, money every exactly. 90 minutes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, as you said, like it's easy to say a number, but that took me six months to write the four courses, 130 videos, and then two weeks during a launch to then do that in the yeah. space of that time. So that period of time, and that's what people say, like people get caught on money, so I did this, did that, and it's iceberg. They don't see what is involved underneath to create that. That's a great description. They don't, they don't see, so they see the headline, oh, I did that in 90 minutes, but how did you get that mm. opportunity? I did that at an event. I had, you know, I've been, I've been, getting, I've been, I've been getting results with the clients for a long time. I knew my subject, I'd spent years learning it. Right. You know, so what was it? Uh, Usain Bolt is the most uh, well-paid athlete based on the per time network because <laughs> yeah. he holds like I don't know, goodness knows how many records, but he's actually worked for about I think he works out about nine minutes or 
based on his income, but it took him 15 years of training to get to the point of being able to do that. And it's just an interesting thing, because although it's a very short amount of time, yeah, tip of the iceberg. Next question. Why are more men entrepreneurs? Well, are more men entrepreneurs? Do we know that for a fact? That's for you to debate. <laughs> so why isn't there enough like female like what, what's enough? Female business. What is coaches? enough? Please? Why why isn't there any? Well like, I mean, like in the in the respect of it. And and this is the thing, I remember about four years ago on Body Power and someone I said any questions and someone stuck their hand up and they said, Why isn't there many women talking I got about body power last week? And I said Ed, and we had about four or five hundred people in the audience and I said if any of you here want to be where I am next year, hit me up after this and I'll train you for free. We'll work on things and let's um, let's go. Yep. How many people turned up? And and like and like I'm only talking about my experience and it frustrates me. And you know I prefer to work with female entrepreneurs such as yourself because I get so much more value from them. Why did you get more value from female entrepreneurs? Because I, I do. I let my guard down a little bit. He listens more to people like me. Phil, sure, should we just get at it? <laughs> <laughs> um, you have got a charming way of disarming people, haven't you? Look, look at this one. You were going to disappear tomorrow, and now you're staying for play pigeon shoot. How long did All that take? That's only because like, my ear will hurt for the next <laughs> year and a half. Five. But yeah. I see that. And I think that is very much, especially with a very, and it is a male-dominated industry, that that is very much needed. And if somebody can tell me why that isn't, then I... Well, I mean, from a fitness perspective, you know, if you look at the fitness industry over the last 15 years, it's had colossal growth, and it was typically a very male-orientated, weightlifting, bodybuilding, fitness-oriented thing, and then also, you know, making a career out of that. I think that it's still in its infancy. Yeah. Um, Do you not think there's a lot more women fitness influencers coming through? Oh, there's yes. a lot. Significant. I've been saving on TikTok because there's a lot on my TikTok, but it might just be um, up. In terms of <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, in, the, in terms of why they haven't ventured into personal training, I mean, you know, they're making revenue through other ways and means, modeling, influencing, shoutouts. Um, you know, all sorts of avenues. So I think you know we're oh, maybe wait, looking just at just on that note. Top ten OnlyFans, they're all women. Yeah. Black China, quarter of a billion dollars a year. Black China, who's? You, you can go and check it out on your phone afterwards. <laughs> okay. But quarter of a billion, two and um, twenty million. But I don't million think that's a, a that's not a very good benchmark. Only fans. Right, we're not going to use OnlyFans as a benchmark. No, but they're creators. They are. And, and they're, not all, they're not all. Fit. They're not and all. I don't have, and I don't have any issues with female with, SAS founders. Yeah, very few. Very few. Well, one of the wealthiest, I think there's, uh, I can't remember the name of the lady. Um, she's one of the wealthiest women in Britain. I think she is the wealthiest woman in Britain. Um, I can't remember the name of the company or what's her name. You might know. Um, give us a clue. We're playing give us a clue. <laughs> I might know. Okay. UK. It's in a sector, it's a major industry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I read about it in the Times the other day. No, I'm serious. I can't remember. She's is it a property uh, building? SaaS? No, it wasn't SaaS, it wasn't property, it was, um, oh, my God. So this is a good point you said about SaaS. I don't think the question is why they're not more female women entrepreneurs. It depends on the industry. Yeah, correct. Because why aren't there more more male nurses? Some industries are more male female oriented. So so there's so many layers to this. The first thing is, 
the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs right now in the UK, in the US, in the Western world are women over 40. That's the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, right? It doesn't mean they're going to make the most money. So uh, less than 2% of all female entrepreneurs will ever hit seven figures. And more than, I think it's more than 95% will never make it to six figures. Right? Most businesses don't even last beyond three years, right? right? So but, but is that wildly different to the male statistics, by the way? It is. It is. It? Well, so it's um, less. Yeah. So basically, substantially. And if you go into SaaS and you go to VC funding, less than 2% of all well, funded we're, businesses. You're the only woman in. I'm not yeah. the only woman, <laughs> but. Less than 2% of all VC-funded businesses are founded by women, right? So potentially there's more if you look at the co-founders, but as, as founders. And there's so many reasons for this. So there's a natural bias. So you, it's been proven that a man can present exactly the same idea as a woman to typically a bunch of men who make the decision on the funding. So when you analyze this, you've got to look at, if you're looking at VC funding, why is it that so few women get VC funding? There are inbuilt assumptions that men, and I think women to a degree, still make about women. So how old are they? Are they going to take time off for childcare? Are they going to take maternity leave? They're playing out all of these scenarios in their head. So I'm going to invest 5 million, but you're 30. Okay, so in two years' time, are you going to want to take time out for a kid? You're going to tell me you don't. Yeah. Nobody makes that assumption about right. a guy because they're saying, okay, you're going to have a kid? It's, That's your partner's issue, not yours. Yeah. You'll come back to work. Yeah. So immediately, women are at a disadvantage. Childcare is still the biggest onus on women is childcare. That is the number one reason that you don't find more women making more money time. in business is time and childcare. If you look at the stats that came out, and I think it was actually the Times that came out with a report about two weeks ago that was looking at female breadwinners. So the, the number of female breadwinners has risen dramatically over the last 10 years. So women making more money. Can you all DM me on Instagram? Women making more money. <laughs> However, out of those female breadwinners, 58% of them still did the majority of the childcare. So even though their partner was earning either less money or was a stay-at-home parent, yep. 58% of the responsibility was still on their shoulders. So that's yeah. the biggest challenge, right? The biggest challenge for women isn't their capacity, it's childcare. And then if you if you take that into, into consideration, what then happens is, you know, they lack confidence. I feel like I got lucky that I came into an industry very early working with alpha men. I mean, it's, you know, no surprise. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sat around with you guys, right? We were talking about this on the way up. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've always built a career of working with alpha men. I find it very easy. I think it's my 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 sweet spot. But I didn't know any different when I started. So a lot of women have had the opposite experience. They've started in a corporate world where they haven't been encouraged. They haven't been championed. And so they've always been at there's, there's absolutely a gender pay gap in the corporate world. So if they leave the corporate world and they start to try to set up by themselves, they just don't have the same level of confidence as a man does. Do you think that's from boxing? Do you think that's from... For me, 100%. Yeah. But it wasn't just that I went into a, a such a male-dominated industry and so alpha male, but these guys gave me mad props. Like, they gave me huge respect. Like... They demanded that everybody around the table paid attention to me. And so at 21, that's all I knew. So if I didn't get the attention, I'm walking out of the room. Like, you know, the reason I call my, my podcast Building a Bigger Table, because I'm not waiting for anyone to give me a seat. If you don't want to give me a seat, I don't fucking care. I'm going to go and build my own table. And But a lot of women don't have that confidence. 
not because they couldn't, but because it hasn't been, it's like a muscle, right? That it hasn't been utilized enough. They haven't been in enough situations where they've been supported or championed or encouraged. Mm. We've always been about 60 to 65% women versus men in our organization. And I've always wondered why, because mm. I, I don't know that it's been conscious. Um, in our experience of hiring, uh, I've probably hired more than a thousand people. A lot of them have fucked off and set up in competition against me, but I've, I've and we definitely find the traits of um, less likely to start their own business, less likely to set up in competition against you more concern if they make a career change that that could affect the yeah. longevity of their career as opposed to men seem to um, you know, be more okay with taking risks in yeah. career moves. And this has been told to me by yeah. the women that work for me, I by the way. That. I haven't got any stats on it, just from actual yeah. real people. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that there's more emotional intuition and intelligence from our um, female staff, I would say. That has a downside too. There's often, mm. I'm not even going to talk about that, but um, that's just my experience. So well, I think if we're talking about why why there's not more, you know, why there are not more women in entrepreneurship, and yet that, those statistics are absolutely changing. They're the fastest growing, women over 40 are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs. But how many of those women are going to make the kind of money that they deserve, the kind of money that they should, the kind of money that they could? And, and why is it that so few of them will ever get to that point? Mm. It's it's for so many of those societal factors, childcare, confidence, expectations. Well, childcare is sort of biological more than societal, isn't it? No, it's societal, it's not biological. Why not? Because there are plenty of of places all around the world where the men take care of the kids. Societal is it has been deemed that it is a woman's responsibility to take care of the kids, but clearly it takes more than just one female to create a child, so it should take more than one female to bring up a child. Here's a thought, Sean. I, I could be first, I could be completely wrong. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> she just rolled up her sleeves. <laughs> I don't know the answer, that's why I'm yeah. asking you. Um, and it's just my thought process. Obviously, like myself and Phil, we're in like and yourself, we're in a group coaching space. Yeah. So we feel that we're in an area of responsibility for a lot of people. And in order for us to scale that, we need to scale ourselves out of that. Yeah. And do you think that women versus men find that more difficult? Yes. And that's one of the reasons that it doesn't grow because if they get one or two people leaving because it's changing, it's scaling, that then they scale back because. They don't like that. I, think, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, th- I think, or, the I think to that, but. That there's when you grow and you scale, there are more responsibilities and there's more risks. There's also more reward. But typically, because a woman's instincts will be, and again, I think this is societal as well, is the pressure is to make sure that whatever she's doing, she's doing in the best interest of her family. Whereas a man, so, so for let me give you an example. A woman wants to set up a business. She's got a great idea, but in order to do so, she needs money. And she can't get money from the bank, but she's got, you know, a fair amount of equity in her house. It would literally, for most women, take heaven and earth to get her to remortgage her house to fund her business, because she'd consider that to be selfish. A man would go, fuck that, let's go straight to the bank, because I'm doing this to provide for my family. It's the same business idea, same amount of money, same amount of equity, but the way that they're viewing it, and again, we can't make vast, I wouldn't view it that way. I'm sure there are other women who wouldn't view it that way. But in general, 
a woman's concern will be that feels selfish, that she's doing something for herself and taking away from the family home. A man will say, I'm doing that for my family, I'm doing that to take care of my family, to provide for my family. It's got nothing to do with me, I'm doing, I'm doing it for my family. So I think it's perception as well, right? Just what you said there, just to add to that, about you know, clients leaving and females maybe being more sensitive to that. I've seen that on both parties, and I think that's just a, a level of immaturity when, when growing a business, clients come, clients go, clients get what they want, you bring them to a certain level, they can't go on, but a lot of people build the business as a representation of themselves and their effort and their life story and their philosophies, like and somebody leaving is, yeah. a, is almost like rejection, yeah. and you see that with salespeople as well, like the immature salesperson will look at a no as a, as a rejection, the mature person will look at a oh, not wrong fit next, yeah. so yeah. But I think the answer, so that was the question, but the answer is how do we collectively encourage more women into the space so that starts with how do you collectively make sure you have more women on your stages how do you collectively like how could you have switched that scenario where you're asking these women to so for me it, it, it's it saddens me that no one took you up on that offer right yeah. because yeah. if that had been me i would have been sitting in the audience going okay so i get a whole entire year with jay he's going to train me and he's going to want me to succeed because this is public so i i have no choice but success in this equation yeah, but I mean, it's two, two factors that hold entrepreneurs back is pride and complacency. So I'm scared of looking stupid or asking for help. Or who does she think she is if she's going to get help? And then the complacency element is when you've got to a level and you don't care anymore and you don't pay as much attention to things. But, yeah. you know, with running my business and the way we present, I, I try to ensure if we're using stock imagery that there's a female present in it. If there's a, an event on that, there's a female speaker at it, there's a female corner per se, if there's any sensitive topics or anything like that that want to be you know, discussed in private, they give them that opportunity. Okay, I mean, let's just unpack this a little bit, right? Yeah. I, was, I was getting in trouble. No, like, 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 specific, no, no, no. specific, specific. Well, we're not going to mention names, right? But we talked about this earlier about another program where they've started to introduce a like female table or a, a female yeah, section. Yeah, female section. A right? female section. A chapter, right? And I'm just like, are you like, hell no. You made a very valid point about I was a bit annoyed because I'd have loved to have been on listening to that. I was like, but you made a valid point about, you know, fathers helping with childcare, but I do believe there are feminine topics that a man would be useful True, but you know what? On. They can discuss that in their own time. Yes. They can discuss that over lunch. They can discuss that over yeah. breakfast. They can discuss that wherever else they want to discuss yeah. it. We do not need the side table. We can sit at the main table. We're more than capable of having yeah. our And if I was in a group and somebody suggested that. So why do, why do women do women-only events then and women-only brands? Because I think it depends on whether it's that, if it's specifically set up, to discuss, so I run a retreat. I run a retreat. What if it's been requested and asked for? As long as it's an addition and it's not an exclusion, because if it's been requested and asked for, and as a female, yeah. I'm not expected to join that table than this table. Well, that's it's, not open, it's open up. You know, if it's from client feedback, we, we want a, a we want a, a females corner to then talk I, about X, Y, and Z. Then I think you need to be conscious that, that there will be a lot of females and probably the most successful ones in your group that will take offense to having to have a separate table. Because in my experience, those conversations are valid, important, and they happen. But in my experience, we make those happen separately. What is your, your non-binary though? I don't have a, uh, an answer <laughs> to that one. Well, so. We had it requested, and then you know when I present that, go wherever you want. Go where's, where's relevant for you right now. 
that has been set up upon request. So, you know, there was a a genuine interest in having that for that one moment or that one event. But that's so, different because yeah. it's, it's it wasn't it wasn't formulated from my end to But also that's not instead of sitting at that table, correct. right? Correct. So why are there women only events? So for for a long time I hated being labeled as like a, a, a female entrepreneur. I have no issues with it now. I've got over myself and, and my own ego. There are occasions at yeah, you didn't like sure. mumpreneur, did you? Oh, mate. Mumpreneur. No. Why do people get so triggered by words? Because it's, it's like, uh, I don't like you, girl you, boss, do you, do you, I don't like boss. Yeah, anyway. Do you, don't, don't you do <laughs> boss, babe. Yeah. <laughs> don't you do some women-only events? I do, absolutely. I Why do. then? So, because they're not this type of event, and that's the difference. So they're not for men? So, let me explain, I can explain. If you are running an event that talks to what Phil's just speaking about, where you're talking about the issues that women face around childcare and running a business. So it's not about but don't the you business. want the men to hear those and be part of it and not seclude yes, the conversation? Which is why in, in a main group. So I run retreats that are for women, right? So for three days, we talk about those issues in isolation. If I was running a main group, I would not be running the men's table and the women's table and then just the, the women's table. table then, no, I would not be. But you are, you're running a three day event just for women. But I mean, imagine if there was a men only event of that type. Be, people would kick off. You can't have a men only event. There are men only events every single day of the week. Have you had any guys apply for that retreat? No, I have wondered what would happen if we. If we if had somebody, yeah, I have wondered. Joe, it's really interesting. Would you like to reply? I, yeah, I will do. Um, I had a train with J male, train with J female, so I had three, four hundred guys in the male, about three hundred in the female. And um, which one do you think was harder to run? I don't think I'm, I'm able to say that. How do you define harder to run? Exhausting. I'm not the female. female. <laughs> no, come on, you, 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 you said the question. Exhausting. Men are more exhausting than women. Like in the groups of fitness groups, why exhausted? Three reasons. One of the reasons is is a, a like Trevor J male was all male, one hundred percent. Yeah. No women in. Trevor J female will always be never one hundred percent female. So there's always me because I'm male in yeah. there. Um, but one thing I liked about the community of women is is they've got each other's backs and yeah, they get on with 100%. themselves. Most of my time spent in that is breaking up little spats with people. The, he said that, the, he said that, and then little DMs on each other, and they create these little faction groups where they dislike. Women this. do that too, I can yeah, tell you. There's but no they, they do it less when there's a male yes, they person do. in the so group. So there's a lot to be said for having a, mixed groups. An interesting thing as well is when I mix the groups, all the all of that nitpicking arguing disappeared. So, so let me just address Rob's point and what the issue I have with what Phil, and it wasn't Phil's group by the way. The issue is if I have selected intentionally to join an all women's group, that's great. I'm all cool with that and I've done that. But if I'm joining a mixed group and then I'm told that, oh, that's the women's group. I went to an event once. I'm just visualizing Shah walking into an event where there's a women's only table, she would literally really? shout and scream well, this and is what happened. the table I, 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 and throw it around and, who is this organizer? I, 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 I went to a very high profile event with very high profile entrepreneurs, many of which you know. Kicked off. And we were told, my friend and I who were at the same event were told that, you know, we've, we've decided this year to set up female only uh, dinner tables and we just looked at each other and the tables were over there and we looked at the, the guy who was hosting and we said thanks and we walked in the opposite direction 
we found the, the guys who had the most power in the room, and we asked the person to sit next to him saying, oh, sorry, I think you're in our seat. And we sat down, and we stayed there. Yeah. Okay, next question. Does the gender pay gap really exist? Yes, it absolutely statistically does exist. There's no question. I'm out of my area of expertise. Yeah. I have no idea. I think maybe that's also one of the reasons why you've got more women over the age of 40 setting up their own businesses because they've reached a decision and a point. And maybe the pandemic has demonstrated that you can run a business from home, that you don't have to have a huge amount of funding to do it. And actually, over the pandemic, men stepped up more, were able to help with childcare more, things became a bit more equal. Maybe that's one of the reasons. The, the gender pay gap, it, and it depends on which country you're in, and depends on what sector you're in, but it absolutely still exists. It comes back to what you were saying, like, regardless of it, if, a, if you've got a, a female having a long-term career that wants a family, inevitably, if you look at this as a, a race, and we're going to run at the same pace, inevitably, you're going to have to stop a bit while that person goes on. And if you're being rewarded financially for effort then of course you can see where the gap is but then that's under that makes sense and that's obvious then from just that perspective but the gender pay gap relates specifically to you and i both having exactly the same role with exactly the same experience but being paid a different amount so what you're talking about is if uh, a woman has kids and she has to take time out and during the her maternity leave however however long or short that is naturally the man who does it progresses his career because he's now getting more experience while she's pressed pause. So that I think is understandable. Things have to be done to compensate for it. So when the woman comes back, she should be able to have access to more learning to get her back to where she was so she doesn't start at a disadvantage. But that's different. You and I having exactly the same job, the same skill set, same experience and getting paid a different amount of money. Our top four staff, I just was thinking about this, our top four staff, up to about 10 months ago, were women, top four paid staff. I do like women, yes. <laughs> if you want to put that on TikTok, you can. <laughs> I do like women. Yeah, I think some guys actually work really well with, with women. I think there's a good mm. balance, yep. right? I think there's yep. a good balance. And I think that women who are used to working with men, typically men, well, you guys can all kind of give your, but I, what I found from my experience of working with successful alpha males is that what's an alpha male and we were having this discussion so it's not necessarily a physical thing to me it's somebody who who is decisive they know what they want they have a plan to go and get it they are confident in their themselves so kind of a type a personality yeah they're confident in themselves and their, their own personality they don't deviate they don't panic they don't They've got it, you know, they've, they've got it. This is what I'm doing, they're resolute, they're... They operate from vision, not circumstance per se. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And I find I work best with men like that, and because of their, that inner confidence, I think that those men tend to listen more. And the irony is, from the outside world, most people would assume that alpha males don't listen, they would assume that they think they know it all, but that's not an alpha male, in my, in my opinion. An alpha male is, is, if they come from a place of vision, they want to figure out how do I get to yeah, create. We, we, have, we have both been in a space where, and I think the fitness industry is guilty for it, for creating a lot of false alpha males that overcompensate with 
a physical stature, it's a, musculature. It's a very, yeah, it's a very and they are so they are so underdeveloped. The, the extreme alpha actually comes from pain, correct? Yeah, Insecurity. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, I think we've all yeah. we've all been there, right? You know, yeah. um, you know, tr true wisdom and again operating from vision not circumstances a, a great deal of self-trust and that's very attractive and magnetic and people want to be that self-trust under the yeah. they, they want to live within the story of that individual's yeah. crusade you know and, I think uh, this is this is why you know like we're sitting the same with you now Sean. it's just like it's because I'm actually the only member here you know like <laughs> no, but what I mean like me and me and Johnny got on the Simon's table in the other room <laughs> <laughs> Me, me and Phil will be complete straight with each other, like fears, frustrations, everything, like just because of our history and how long we've known each other. But anybody else, walls up, you know, yeah. like even if it was like coach to coach, you know, yeah. it's just like, no, I'm fine. But you'd be it's honest with me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think, think that, it's very much a, like we want to get to the point quick, and that comes with transparency. And yeah. essentially, we know that progress comes from essentially just be like here's where I'm at here's what's going on here's what I'm thinking um, and and I know I'm gonna get it straight you know yeah. um, and I think people guard up because they think other people have an agenda or they're gonna well, take they that weakness them. or they're gonna utilize that or yeah. quite frankly they don't know how to actually solve it yeah and then you know so this you know I think that's healthy to have yeah. you know yeah. not sure how that's gone from the up, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the um the discussion of what an alpha male is fascinates me. Okay. How would you define an alpha male role? Well, I was listening to you all thinking, I don't even know if people perceive me as an alpha male. I definitely don't perceive myself as an alpha male. And, you know, you said decisiveness. Well, why, 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 why would you not consider yourself an alpha male? I don't, well, one, I don't know what it is. <laughs> right. Um, and two, I think there's a lot of association of ego and drive. And Agreed. Yeah. There's a there's a lot. Alpha well, there's, a, there's a commercial element to that terminology, but if we were to Toxic say alpha, if, 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 if we were to say alpha male in the position of leader, yeah, somebody that people followed, um, you know, and a magnetic personality that was able to persuade and influence a, a lot of people to do something or believe something. The wolf in the wolf pack. But, so if you look at a wolf pack, who's the one alpha? that has the courage to yeah. stand up and have a voice uh, without care of the the repercussions or whatever so you know an alpha male to me is you know you look at the key figures from jesus the whole way through to whatever they're, they're, they're visionaries so how, how would you know how would you describe that you know how do you fit into that now with that vision with that description yeah i think labels are really difficult yeah. yes um and, and mislabels are even harder so how, I think there's been a lot of mislabels around. It's how we heuristically. Well, I think alpha male is typically bottled as a you know bottle of testosterone pills with a bull on it. That's not in my. And I think that typically it, it's it's related to a physical presence. Correct. So I think a lot of people assume that an toughness alpha male, and the ability to fight, the ability to defend oneself, but you know. There's so much more depth than that, right? Because oh, yeah. I would probably say the ability to face your fears and not run away from them, I would see that as a, yeah. a good trait of a leader, a visionary, a, an alpha. Someone who can be self-aware enough to know their own flaws, Correct. coach themselves through when either they're a bit ahead of the self, themselves and high or Bring a bit... Bring themselves down. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so maybe good self-awareness, mm. I would say, um, because there's a lot... 
I just think there's a lot of ego attached to alpha, and I, I yeah, think it's actually a, the opposite of uh, ego yeah, is yeah. probably more alpha. It's a big stereotype because I said alpha male instantly screams toxic masculinity, which is another phrase which has come up. What is that? Because that's another label which to me just sounds like some made up. How would you define toxic masculinity yeah. in, in three to five words? Art trips. It's like narcissist. Oh, you're a narcissist. But that is, what does that mean? It's very complex. You're a toxic male. What does that mean? So the most recent public example that everybody will be able to relate to was Chris Rock and Will Smith. And it was described that both of them displayed examples of toxic masculinity. So Chris Rock apparently displayed toxic masculinity as he... Um, he wielded or abused his power as the person on the stage with the audience being able to make someone feel less than because he had the That's power. That's utter bullshit. So, so top, it was well, a joke. It was, it was a well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about toxic, toxic masculinity. But, but how to joke on the well, Oscars, to, toxic because masculinity. Because of how it made someone else feel. So they were, but isn't so that what jokes do? I mean, they're, so toxic, they're roasting yeah, but, yeah, culture. But, but, Americans roast for a living, they roast each other. So I agree with you on all levels. However, the conversation about toxic masculinity Who's and what it, it is. Who was saying that? Phil just asked me what's to- what I think toxic masculinity Sorry, I've got to let you finish, haven't yeah, I? You have. But Phil did say three to five words. No examples. No, you can say three to five oh, examples. We've got dinner at 7 30. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way of giving you three. If I can think of an example which I've, I've seen on social media and um, from a female perspective um, is. Mansplaining. Yeah. That's another one of those fucking Which, ridiculous yes. words. But once again, it's like, it's like a, a man can't have an opinion. What is that? So, pa- it's, it's males being patronising to women. It's 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 basic, basic, <laughs> I, I think man, mansplaining is about, let's just say I have a conversation with Rob and then I apparently put it in simpler words to speak to Sharp. Right, patronising so kind of angle. Yeah, right. yeah that word is like, used as a weapon by people. So it is basically a man explaining, mansplaining, man explaining to a poor. But do you dumb think female. that that has been? So it's basically men patronising women, isn't it? Yes. But, but it's I mean, also if we, an if we, if we, Why isn't there femsplaining in the explaining in the dictionary then? It's also it's also the physical thing that when a man sits down, he typically like spreads his legs and takes up as much space as possible. And a woman will typically sit down and, and like just take up her own space, and a man will try to take up as much space as possible. But I mean, if you throw back 30, 40, 50 years, yeah. um, we've evolved, obviously, right? 100%. So, you know, mansplaining back then, you know, I can't say, you know. Have you ever looked at like 1980s TV programs and the adverts and that, mm. with how they're geared towards things, and the, the narrative on that, saying like, this is so and so. She stays at home and makes sure that yeah. things are clean for when he comes home. And <laughs> I would love to see you in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> and it's like, and I look at some of these, like, times have changed, and, and it's but, for a but good I suppose thing, that's yeah. just an evolution of. But the society. irony is, times have changed in terms of TV ads, but in reality, women are still doing the bulk of the shit at home. It's only like 50, 60 years ago when you think of it, and but also you know, look at it was kind of well. Like, 1940s, you've got World War Two and yeah. everything else, of which you've got to take into a yeah. factor as well. Because, but, okay. so quickly, what yeah. is toxic masculinity? Go on, I feel guilty that I jumped. So, in. toxic masculinity is when a man wields his power, physical power, or his, his any kind of power in an abusive situation. So where he's is a there toxic femininity when a woman yeah. uses her power to manipulate a man. Well, there must be. If there's not, there should be because it, it, it works both ways, right? Because haven't we got to have the discussion from both sides if we want equality? 
Of course. Go to a female strip club, go to a male strip club. And look I'll, at the, I'll look let you go to the male one. <laughs> look at the dynamic and the difference. Yeah. Um, because my wife comes back from... Um, she, the was the male strip club. <laughs> she was at... Uh, where were we? At the um, Palladium. Um, the Hippodrome, sorry. They've got Magic Mike live. Um, oh, the the show where the car. I was, I was having the, the conversation with Anna, and she was like, "Oh, you know, I've never been there." So, yeah. oh, he just cool. wants to clarify for the record. Yeah. For the record, it's very, it's very, very different in what you're allowed to, not allowed to, and, and the whole dynamic of it, which is but different think, in what way? Um, in the fact that women, like this, is based from my wife. So they look at this as a bit of fun. Yeah. Whereas men go to a strip club and it's a little bit yeah. different. They're not going for a bit of fun. They're going for. Absolutely. Surely, by a lot, a lot, that's biological, isn't it? A testosterone. But if we're asking about that, then it's understanding that when you've got people with two different, you know, yeah. more um, testosterone, then we're going to have differences of opinion when it comes to toxic, toxic masculinity as well. Because looking at it from a male's perspective, I can see that dynamic. But at the same time, you know, it's going to be, I've never been a female, so I'm not going to see it from a different side. I think. Maybe one of the clearest ways to view this is when a woman, a man never needs to be worried about walking home alone. So what's the worst that Well, these can... two don't. <laughs> I do. I couldn't take out my own shadows. <laughs> but what's the worst that a woman could do to you? Like, what's the worst? Like, uh, the average woman on the street, like, not a psychopath with a machine gun, right? She's going to throw abuse at you, verbal abuse. She's going to scream at you, shout at you, throw something at you. You guys are going to be fine. But for a woman, most women could be overpowered by most men. Mm-hmm. And so that, when you see women being attacked on their way home, like when any of your female friends walks home and you're saying, you know, take, you know, be careful, mm-hmm. message me when you get home. No one's ever going to say that to you. Like, be careful, Jamie, at that 4.30 morning, like you're going out in the dark by yourself. If I went out at 4.30 in the morning, like, mate, Drew would lock the front door to make sure I didn't get out because he'd be worried about me going out at 4.30 in the morning. Back in the 1980s, just my, back in the 1980s, I watched a documentary on Netflix about the Yorkshire Ripper. Well, that wasn't Netflix in the 1980s. No, not, it was a Netflix documentary. Oh, okay. Recording what went on in the 1980s with the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. And there was massive women saying, look, you know, we need a curfew for men because we just don't feel safe because six mm. women have just been killed by by a serial killer. And there was just this big thing about, this big argument to say, well, no, <laughs> you know, like, why should men have a curfew just based on one person? It was just a very interesting dynamic with that. But I just think if you with... boil it down to that very basic thing, men will never be in fear of their lives walking down the street by themselves. Depends where you are, though. In, 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 in London. Well, I, I, you know, I was, in, I, I was in LA once, you know, accidentally walked into Compton. Um, you might then be able to. went straight out of Compton. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Too good. Too uh, I, was, I sent a WhatsApp pin to a friend, and they were like, yeah, do you know where you are? And I was like, no. Think, and he was like, think GTA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, so, uh, you know your point there about. This, the safety yeah. of, of women, which again is clearly a biological thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. How, how does that relate to this discussion? I'm fascinated. What? So I just think that that is a very... Men get to walk around in their everyday existence in safety, right? And every woman should be able to do the same thing. Yeah. But the reality is women have to make different choices about what they do, what time they leave, 
because they don't have that safety, right? It's, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's, a, and if you want, I know it's a very basic thing, but that's fundamental. Like, I don't know any female that would feel 100% safe, like, going out at one o'clock in the morning by herself. I remember reading a Twitter thread and it was by a load of women of the things that they have to do differently as a, as a woman and it was incredible to read these 50 different things and you're like, and when I read them all, I was like, oh, I, I would never ever, you know, as a, as a, as a man, I'd never have to think about that, 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 that. I'd just go and do that. Yeah. So when you think about... Women are judged yeah, so just, much more by by what they wear, by... You know, there's so many things that they come up for judgment against that men don't. Loving it. Next question. Does the cost of living and inflation crisis only affect people who don't know how to manage money? The cost of living crisis affects everybody. Mm because the cost of living crisis isn't just inflation, isn't just fuel, it's everything. food. I think the biggest cost of living crisis will be tax. And people aren't talking about that in this dialogue. They're talking about energy and food and a few hundred pounds a month, which is huge to most people, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. People like us, a few hundred pounds a month, we're okay with that. Yeah. It's huge to many people. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, this is the difference between debt and credit but what no one seems to be talking about is tax which has gone up to 24 percent in the well, uk corp tax went up from 18 to 25 yeah so that is i mean 18 to 25 seven out of 18 that's 40 percent increase with in inflation on top of that yeah. and materials yeah. and logistics and wages not going up in line with increased cost of living and the 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 tens of billions that the government have wasted mm. on the track and trace app, on the PPE that they had to write off, and on the COVID loans that they had to write off, those three things, it's nearly back. 20 billion. I mean, I remember when we came out of the lockdown and that app just started pinging everyone, and 25 of my staff were sent home for a week. They didn't have COVID. They were pinged yeah, by an app that wasn't working yeah, properly. Yeah, yeah. And I think it was... It was somewhere between seven and nine billion. I don't know the exact figure, but it was billions of PP equipment that they wrote off because it was no longer fit for purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the COVID loans. So many people who needed the COVID loans didn't get them. And loads of people gained the system and got COVID loans who didn't need yeah. them. And, and, then, and yeah. then they just chucked them into property or spent them and they'll never get them back. And it's billions. Yeah. So, like, people, people should really be aware that tax is going to because tax is the biggest expense yes like you could you know maybe you can do a few energy changeovers you know change energy supplier and get rid of get rid of your but netflix and all that no, but you, yeah. and you can save 70 pound a month mm. but tax is 50 percent 55 percent 60 percent of what you make yeah do you think the the knock-on effect of that is business owners entrepreneurs that are going to be looking for more loopholes and ways about or leave or, or leave well I'll tell you what they'll do because I know a load of entrepreneurs loads of entrepreneurs number one is they'll stop drawing as much money and they'll find ways to expense more money which means there'll be a less of a tax event they'll, they'll still be able to get their corp tax but they won't get the same yes. income tax yeah. so you know people moan about all the billionaires who don't draw yes. loads of money they roll it up yes. and then they create debt against it well yeah. they do that because of the penal yeah. taxes mm. So the government, the more the, the higher they put income tax, the more entrepreneurs are just going to take less, 
drawings Expand or salary, yeah. and they're going to expense more. That's the, the, the. And then it's going to be the vicious cycle where the end party that's actually receiving it'll do the CM and the CM and the CM and the CM and the CM. But the reality is, in these situations, we have the wherewithal to take good advice, to move stuff around, to move countries, to do all different things. But the average person on the street, it is the headline petrol hitting two pounds or nearing two pounds. It is the headlines of the gas and the oil, the electricity, all of that. Which and is really convenient for the government. Yeah. Because <laughs> the government can't really do anything about that. No, so what happens but is But they, they can do a lot about taxes. Yeah, but it's a distraction. It's a deliberate distraction so that we're not having those conversations. But well, I am every fucking day. But I get it. But the average person isn't having those conversations. And for the average person, it's not about managing their money. They could manage their money within an inch of their paycheck and it's it just won't add up anymore. Right? I, I always There's not that much discrepancy. There's, people I, don't have a lot of discrepancy. Well, then people are already living 110% right. expenses yeah. over what they earn anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember I left the army 2009, 2010. I had to take pay cut. I was on 24,000 a year in the army. 2010, I was on 19,000 a year in a one bedroom flat with Anna. I had 2,000 pounds on my credit card. I had 50 pounds for food, 50 pounds saved for fuel. And I would be paying 30 pounds off that credit card, which was that. So I worked out it's going to take me four and a half years to pay that off. Now, if I was rewind back into that position and then suddenly I've got to now find three, four hundred pound extra a year for that. Yeah. I, Screwed. Yeah. And back to your question on loopholes. Yeah, yeah I'd love to hear more on that entrepreneur. Like, yeah. There are a lot of things you can offset against tax that a lot of entrepreneurs don't even know. I mean, they're on the HMRC website. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to straight up tell you, I looked at everything I spend and spoke to my accountant and said, can that be a business expense? What if, so for example, I wear Alexander McQueen. What if, um, can Alexander McQueen, because that's my brand on social media, can that be a business expense? Uh, no. I said, are you sure? What if it's a uniform? Well, if it's a uniform, you can only wear it for work yeah. and you can't wear it for home. That's fine. How do I prove that? Oh, we hang it up in your office, only, work, only yeah. wear it for work. And if you ask your accountant enough and you figure out ways, because Graham Norton um, and people like that, they buy a lot of clothes from McQueen and, right. and it's, um, Tom Jones. The, 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 the question the that exactly what you're talking about, the question that changed it for me was not, can I put this through? It's asking yourself internally, how, how can I put this yeah, through? Right. So it's a different frame of yeah. going, well, there's a utility to this. Yeah. And here's here's why. And I think, you know, really, you know, if you can use that frame high and justify that with every ounce of your being, then... Mm. So in the end, the profit goes down, therefore the tax you pay goes down. Yeah. So um, there's, a, there's an optimal amount of tax that the government can charge that will give the government the optimal amount of money and they're freaking way beyond it, way beyond it to the point where people resent the government and they'll do everything they can not to pay the tax. And I'm, by the way, here now we're talking about legal stuff. What about all the Ill illegal stuff that everyone's going to do? People are leaving America in droves to go to Puerto Rico, etc. If my tax goes up 5%, I will probably leave the UK. Yes. Because it is... It's not fair. Penal yeah. and unfair. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. And what effect will that have on the economy when all the best entrepreneurs who are generating the jobs and the income are looking at how much they're paying in tax and things like that. What you're saying yeah. there, I, I would love to know how these questions are circulating through the mind of people who make those decisions. Well, they don't They don't know because they're not entrepreneurs. Oh, I, I spoke to Nigel Farage and I asked him the same thing. I'm like, why the people who run government, 
and I'm not, they, I'm not about awareness. And he said that they look they look down their nose at entrepreneurs. They're, they're very much the private school educated. I don't think yeah. that's all of them, right? That happens to be the current government, in my opinion. Well, that's right? the one that creates all the policy, Currently, isn't it? Currently, but yeah. I think this has been systemic of lots of governments. Even the small business minister hasn't always had any experience in running a business. They've just been given the title and they have no understanding of what it means. And I've always been very vocal. I've been a Labour voter my whole life because of where I've come from. And my whole thing has been, I'm happy to work harder, pay more tax if it means that the welfare state and the NHS is funded because I wouldn't be able to be where I am today with it. However, there are, there are levels to it, right? There are levels to it. I'm not happy to pay 60% tax. I'm not happy to, what's the point? Like. There, there has to be a cut when, when, when you look at the, 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 the wastage of a lot of, you know, you said the COVID app, but not just that, people gaming the system for disability allowance, you know, cars as big in Northern Ireland. But that's people. minimal Benefits, in comparison to what happened during COVID. I mean, that, yeah, all of that stuff happened and yeah. it happened forever. <sighs> But the fuck-ups over the money that was spent by the government during COVID, yeah. I mean, is on do you have such any a level. I've ranted about that loads, but do you have any sympathy? I mean, it must have been the hardest thing to be in government when COVID happened. I mean, how do you sit there and go, no, I'm not going to lock anyone down. I'm going to keep the economy going, knowing that you could cost a million I, lives or I, 10 I, million lives. I have sympathy that they made, I believe, with a little bit of generosity, that they made the best decisions with the information they had at hand at the time that they had it at that point. But what where I don't have any sympathy is that when they realized that track and trace wasn't working, when they realized these things weren't working, they didn't call an immediate halt to it. You know, in business we all talk about sunk cost. And one of the one of the benefits of maturing in business is you recognize that you, you remove the emotions from a decision, right? So I've invested in this part of my business as a sunk cost, but it's not working. You don't keep investing in it. You don't keep pushing it. Because that's just because it's a sunk cost doesn't mean we're going to keep chasing it. And the government, I think, felt we've, we've, we've said this publicly. We've invested all this money. So we know it's a dead end road. We know it doesn't work. We're just going to keep doing it anyway. That's batshit crazy. Yeah. There's two main ways I think the government can generate revenue. Number one is they can tax the fuck out of everyone. Number two is they can um, fuel the economy to grow and I don't understand why they only know how to tax the fuck out of it. Yeah. Because if if I tax the fuck out of you and the fuck out of you I don't want to be here. Why do you how you you, you, haven't got, you don't want to be here, you haven't yeah. got any profits to reinvest. Yeah. 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 Whereas if I give you incentives, subsidies and support and you invest in stuff, I give you subsidies and support for staffing, yeah. yeah. for innovation, I give you offsetable um, allowances for that and you go and create and build and grow again and then I tax you on that increased revenue. Well, why do they not get that? Yeah, I agree. There was so much quantitative easing during COVID in order to stimulate the economy, but why was that not carried through afterwards? Because in many ways, it's now that small businesses need the help. What's, not, that, what's that meals thing they did? <laughs> yeah. Not doing it, right? Double, yeah, was no. it half price food? Half price food to get people to go and eat at restaurants. But I think that, you know, there was support given during COVID, but there's not only is there no support post-COVID when people are trying to get back on their feet, but actually it's the opposite. It's like we gave you with the left hand during COVID, but we're now going to take it all back and some post-COVID. Mm. And then the economy is going to be on its knees. We're going to a recession. We're all fucked. How's that? That's good. You've got a lot of COVIDs to edit out there for YouTube, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
needs to be done. Next question. The world's most successful entrepreneurs definitely have psychopathic traits, according to a recent Forbes article. Do you agree? We need to first define first what of all, a psychopathic trait is. Um, and I, I assume it's lack skills such as empathy, remorse. Um, well, we all have varying degrees of that anyway yeah, exactly like at different levels so i mean it, it would help to clarify the yeah. exact and also what are we considering like the world's most successful entrepreneurs so i'm going to go with people Bezos or like like elon musk i'm going to go with bill gates i'm going to go with steve jobs dyson like who else would be up that branson rockefeller, rockefeller. <laughs> like so so it's Brandon not escobar <laughs> 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 I, I have a major problem with terms like psychopath mm. and, and narcissist because I think they are labels that are used as weapons by people don't who understand the word. don't understand the word and what they are and don't like the traits or the position of the person that they're attacking. Yeah. I'll give you an example. In nearly every instance, when I have observed someone calling someone a narcissist, that person exhibits those exact traits that they're accusing this narcissist of. Narcissus was just a, 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 a person. Um, and everybody has the ability to have ego and manipulate people if their values are challenged. So I don't think that the top entrepreneurs are psychopaths or have psychopathic qualities because I think a proper psychopath is someone who probably ends up murdering people. Um, and I'm pretty sure that the top entrepreneurs haven't done that or would know about it. Yeah, but I, I think your point about empathy, I think it's perceived that top entrepreneurs don't have empathy, you know, and they can be brutal in their decision making. But the bigger you get... But I think that can... Be picked, that's objectiveness, and I think people who are emotional will pick that up as a how could you do that without understanding yes. a full context of a decision? Yeah, for example, you well, know, would, would they want to make a decision where 100 people die or 100 people die? Well, I always talk about the word exploit, and I don't think exploit is it you know, it can be used negatively, but it can be used positively as well. And I think when you look at somebody that's taken advantage of an opportunity to create value to, to help that reoccur and solve problems, to be labeled as you know and cutting somebody over that, that that there's elements of that that naturally happen in business and it's how that individual on the other receiving end determines that and and perceives that and actually reformats that into something productive so but to me that definition is it's the difference between it's a nuance it's the difference between extract and exploit so somebody could extract the very best out of a situation the best out of an opportunity somebody else could interpret that that they're exploiting right Psycho psychopathy is characterized by diagnostic features such as superficial charm <laughs> i definitely got that because i've got proper charm <laughs> high intelligence yeah it's male <laughs> poor judgment and failure to learn from experience i don't i don't think that is a that's that's everyone not everyone has that at yeah. times Pathological egocentricity and incapacity for love. Well, I would regard a true psychopath as someone who's in, incapable of love, but I, I imagine some of the top entrepreneurs are capable of love, so I wouldn't call them that. Lack of remorse, you said that. 
or shame impulsivity, grandiose sense of self-worth, pathological lying, manipulative behavior. I mean, that is just such nuanced technical definition. And there's so many other people that... But also, as you said, in the right place at the right time with the right situation, anyone can... Utilize have, you have those. Yeah. Anyone can have superficial charm. If you want to rescue your children from death, you'll pull all manner yeah. of superficial yeah. charms. Yeah. 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 Did you ever watch the Darren Brown Netflix special? I'm talking a lot about Netflix there, but he created a situation where he got someone on a roof, and in order to create a situation to, to push somebody off a roof, it's called the push. Mm. Brilliant. A hundred actors in a house, they had someone go in and they said, We're going to get a, a random person to kill someone tonight. And they did this whole event around by putting, you've got to watch it, but so much pressure to get this person to push this person over. And they didn't. But what they didn't tell you is that they'd rehearsed this with six different people and four out of six people pushed the person. Normal you've people. Got, normal people, yeah. it's called the push by Darren Brown. The right place, the right time, the right situation, and the right amount of pressure can make anybody do something such as that. Mm. And it was fascinating. I, I cannot imagine how those four people didn't end up suing Netflix, a production company. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't show that, I don't think. The psychological damage afterwards. So how did those people feel? Did, did they, they show those four people who did it? Yeah. They did. They actually showed them. Oh, right. Was it called The Push? The Push. Is that your... your well, what, what's that the next? It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Because obviously, you know, like people say, oh, I'd never do that. And it's like, someone said... <sighs> Right. So essentially every human being is place. capable of everything any other this human is, being yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, forced. Someone was said, like, so someone actually did a video because I said, I, I'm very much, I, it's quite like, what gets measured gets managed. If you can't measure something, you can't improve it. If you can't improve something, no. Peter the, Drucker, the, yeah, yeah, there's, there's yeah, a whole yeah. And then someone did an actual TikTok taking a piss, saying, like, doing all these scenarios, which I found funny, um, but they were saying, oh, well, you know, you can't measure love. I said, you can't, 100% you can measure love. It's not based in what, one out of 10 and this, that and the other, but you just haven't been put into the extreme of, of that. And I said, no one ever wants to be put in this situation, but there is a scene in Schindler's List where the German walks up to the mother and says, you've got to pick one of your kids, and, or they're both gonna be taken away and she had to pick one extreme situation involves measurement. Everything in life can be measured, not necessarily like people say you can't measure happiness. Okay, on a scale of one to 10, one being you're gonna kill yourself tonight and 10 being living on a cloud, where are you now? Guaranteed you can tell. Everything can be measured. But going back to what we said, being put in the right circumstance with anything, you will display narcissistic tendencies or psychopathic tendencies. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. And so I think it's it's a bit of a glib thing to put into an article to... It's clickbait from Forbes, let's just be honest. Yeah, next. And Harry wants clickbait from us. So there will be people reading going, I should be a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> Do we really have freedom of speech? Well, it depends on how many times you're going to have to edit COVID out of this video. Everything's relative in comparison. I do not believe we have full freedom of speech and I do not believe we should have full freedom of speech because if my speech incites violence or causes trauma to Agreed. you, I believe that that should be governed. Right now there's mainstream media and social media platforms and big tech that are more policing and controlling what you say and can't say, number one, and number two, 
algorithms that are rewarding and penalizing things you say or don't say, which are forcing speech down a certain path, narrow path. Because just by that happening, I know there's things that if I say them, I could get banned from Facebook and YouTube and whatever else. So that just being in my mind makes me think, can I fully express, yeah. express myself yeah. freely? And if I want to stay on these channels, I can't have full freedom of speech. Yeah. But, if, but I should not be able to abuse you with my language. So no, there is no full freedom of speech, but we shouldn't have it. But yeah, my house, my rules. If I come in your house and you don't like swear words and I'm sitting there swearing, you're going to ask me to leave. Same as those platforms, you know. So you think it's absolutely fine for them? No, not at all. I mean, one of the issues that I saw, especially with lockdown, is, for example, we'll get into another thing with vaccines and everything else. But if you've got someone talking absolute cod shit and you're watching this for 15 minutes, the algorithm goes, oh, you like this. I'm going to show you. More of I found some more absolute conspiracy theories. And then your entire news feed, based on the algorithm, you based on what you like, yeah. is suddenly got in this massive hole of going, oh my God, people need to wake up. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, this is the biggest problem with social media. And the algorithms, like you, like you said, TikTok. I am very, very focused on TikTok. Like, if, I've, if I'm on part five of six of the police chase, <laughs> which if you're on TikTok, oh, what happened next? I press and hold and go, not interested, because you've got to let the algorithm know what you want to see and what you don't want to see. But some people just don't do that. They're like, they get sucked in, and it's, and it's more and more and more. And this is something that's very hard as a big company to go, well, how do we solve that? How do we define as a company what is right and what is wrong? You know, do we get that? But from... it very much sways how what people believe is actually happening in the world. So, you know, it, it has been said that Facebook in particular had a very big part to play in in Trump's last election because what was ha and, and not necessarily because that they were pro, but what was happening was if you were a Democrat supporter, you were only being shown views yeah. like yours. Yeah, exactly. Same with Brexit. Exactly the same with Brexit. That well, I, I shared the same thing with the Ukraine and Russia. I was in Slovenia a couple of weeks ago and I said, what's your thoughts on the whole Ukraine and Russia thing? And they said, well, Ukraine's one of the most corrupt countries in the world and they've had missiles pointed at Russia for a very long period of time. We support Russia. And I didn't, I I didn't hear that, you know, in, in, in the UK or Ireland, what I'm exposed to. So it was interesting to hear this different perspective, you know. But if you only hear your own Correct. eco chamber. That's all you know, right? So during Brexit, if I looked at what I was seeing, my views was I don't even need to go and vote in the referendum because there's no way we're leaving Europe. Because my feed was telling me that everyone was going to vote and everyone was pro-Europe. Yes. So we are led into this false sense of belief that what we believe, like, whoever's going to be voted in for president or prime minister or what's going to happen on a referendum. But that's not the real world. That is the curated world that social media are delivering to us based on our algorithms. So we are literally living in an eco-chamber without seeing any outside views or influences. Mm. What's going to, what is going to be interesting is in the next 10 to 15 years when things are more decentralised and... If they get if, more decentralised. <laughs> But then is, is this thing, is, would it be better if free, freedom of speech, if we've all agreed that it's not based on being able to have a voice to millions of people on a platform, because at the end of the day, we're not gonna be able to you know, get a million people in the street with a loudspeaker yeah. and say what it is. We have to, in order to get our voice out there, we have to play the game 
of one of these platforms. We have to build up a following, we have to build up an audience, we have to hope that other people share that narrative. And it's very hard, I, I can only imagine how hard that is. I mean, an algorithm isn't really gonna understand that, no matter how smart the algorithm is. Because but that has been engineered by somebody to... In the right way, you know, but at the same time, it's like, cool, you like this stuff, I'm going to show you more yeah. of this stuff. Yeah, on a basic level, see. that's actually customer service making your, you don't want to scroll through a load of trash. Correct. So yeah. people think it's nefarious, but actually it's quite convenient. Yeah. 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 But on a... But how, how is that resolved? On a more yeah. global level, there has to be a way for the algorithms to start to introduce views that aren't your own. Otherwise, you're seeing a very well, one-dimensional side of... I think you as an individual have to take that responsibility because right. I cannot imagine any any profit-incentivized company that's going to Shoot cannibalize kids. their own yeah. profit for the sake of a balanced No, view. I'm not necessarily talking about shopping decisions, buying decisions, stuff like that. But I think when it's... When, political when, or... Yeah, when it's political, when it's around... Relic yeah. Any of those things, I think that's where, when it's not a commercial thing to enhance the customer. When is social media not a commercial thing? Um, when the topics aren't commercial, maybe that's the better but way. But also, something can be said is that you don't need, if you don't like it, you don't have to be on these platforms. It's very much like when someone says, like someone says hate on like a comment section, I'm just like, you don't need to follow, you don't have to have an, you can just go, it's fine. Um, and I think that is when you look at it like that it's a responsibility of that person just as much yeah. as these companies because they're just trying to do a job they're trying to yeah. feed what they believe you want to see based yeah. off your we habits agree. so there should be just as much responsibility I mean if we want for, like kind of it both ways if you want the freedom it comes with responsibility as well yeah so if you want to play the game yeah you've got to deal with the repercussions as well as the benefits how do you how do you do that? Create a fund. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> my my eighty nine pound I've had for ten million views. It's awesome. <laughs> Final few questions, then we'll move on to a quick fire Q and A at the end. But next question: Is the perfect work life balance a myth? I believe you have to have extreme imbalance at the start to be able to create the momentum, the cash flow, and the potential resources and connections to essentially find balance later. That's my perspective. Um, and that all really boils down to what your vision is for what your life is. So that is very individually complex. So. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, probably the worst person to say, but um, Tony Robbins created this six emotional needs of human beings. And one of the lines of them is uh, love and connection and uh, significance. I think entrepreneurs really fall on that line because if you seek too much, and, and this is the reason that we build businesses and build our profiles, is that we're seeking significance in the world. But too much of that makes us very lonely because it's a one-man, you know, it is a you know, one-person effort and, you know, to a certain extent, ego-driven, which then you don't have that love and connection. But too much time spent with family, friends, and loved ones and not focusing on yourself, you lose significance. So the balance of that is knowing where you are on that line and knowing whether you need to, you know, kiss the kids goodbye and get to fucking work, or slow the fuck down and take some time off. And I think the balance can be, as Phil said, you need to have people wanting to well, typically, divorce and split yeah, up. Yeah. 
because most on most business owners they're not down here they're fucking up there yeah. yeah and i think you need to get to there to go whoa hang on a minute and that's where you get the balance but that line always comes out and uh, i yeah, think yeah. it's just knowing you, you get better at knowing where that red line is well some people do essentially you find balance from being unbalanced initially you know yeah. and you have to actually what does that feel like and you know most finder most business finders break down or get burnt out or get ill and then have to put the infrastructure or the, the non-negotiables or the behaviors in place or the, or the change and how they think to create the balance right? and everyone has their own version of balance mine's four days a week like shy you like 90 day sprints with a nice week two weeks in the sun 17 weeks yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so I, the balance balance is always going to be dependent on the individual. He, he can't take a day holiday. I, well, I, I I'm here. I'm here taking a day holiday. I think there's an issue with the word balance in itself because for me, balance means that either one thing's outweighing the other, or you're constantly striving for this like scale to be equally balanced. And I think it's it's more like how do you create a work life blend where yeah. in the moment you make a decision what is most important to you in that moment. So if you are about to stand on stage and earn 127,000, yeah. that moment is more important to you to do that than maybe do the school run that morning. Correct. Right? Well, I always looked at putting my, uh, whatever way you take this is whatever way you take this, but I put the business first over family because the business provides for the family. And I, I just have engineered myself that way to think I want to be able to provide the resources, the freedom, the time. I've made my wife essentially, you know, taken her out of her career so she can do stuff with the child. So, you know, that has been as a result of me prioritizing those things. Um, but at the same time too, I think this balancing, I love what I do. I'm not a light bulb, I don't want to switch off. I, I, yeah. I find it invigorating, I love the challenge, I'm obsessed with it in a way that's exciting for me. And it's like, you know, if you look at a, a gold medalist in the, in the Olympic, in the Olympics, you know, they're, they're obsessed with their performance and if you want to be, ex abnormal behavior, abnormal results. That's why I... All right, let me bring this back to where, where we started this conversation because I don't make you wrong in what you've said. Yeah. Could you imagine if a woman said that? Could you imagine what would happen on social media if a woman came out and said, judge me how you want, but I'm putting my business over my family. Well, I, I would look at that from a perspective going, I respect that because you've got a vision for something that you feel is great for the world. And that, and I, you know, if that's what you, how you want to lead your life and that fulfills you, then I want to support you. Um, if it's at the, you know, at the compromise of other people that changes it, but at the same time this, too. This is kind know, of the dynamics that when Jay was talking about the list of 50 things yeah. that he read on Twitter, uh, uh, even if a woman felt that way, I, I don't know any woman who would publicly say that, not because but again, is she's that, is ashamed that a, of it, yeah. but because she would be, all the trolls who are going to troll her out, all the people who are going to try to cancel yeah. her for saying that thing. And, but and again, does that, you know, would well, that well, not inspire well, a new movement of females to actually, you know, vocalize that? I mean, that, that takes a, you know, we talked earlier about leaders and visionaries, that takes a an extraordinary amount of courage to step it into and be the first to be the groundbreaker yeah. and then usually when you're the groundbreaker other people copy and follow through you right so my, it takes one person to lead it my view has always been especially as a single mom right so yeah. my son's dad passed away when he was only three so i've had no choice but to have moments in his life where i've had to prioritize the business over my family because if I didn't yes, there, there was no one to yeah, provide yeah, for yeah, him right yeah, yeah. so my way of looking at it has been what is most important in this moment of time mm. whether it's that that hour that week that month what is most important right now 
Yeah. And actually, sometimes those decisions that you're making to prioritize your business actually are because you are prioritizing your family. Correct. Which is how you're viewing it. Yeah. Because what, actually what you're saying is I'm going to prioritize my business for the next, let's say, five years because in five years' time, I actually want to have the time to be with my family and to do the... So you're actually making an investment. Yeah to be able to claw back that time in the future. Yeah, and I do think, in addition to that, I think entrepreneurs who do that for a period of time, they condition themselves and they condition, they build an identity around those actions and behaviors and beliefs, and that, that is a very hard thing to untrain, especially, you know, I've, I've just had my first child and, you know, I'm finding that, uh, you know, I prioritize my time differently, but I find it very hard to decondition the, the, the go, 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 go. But there is, that's part of my identity. That's part of who I am. That's part of what, why I wake up in the morning. It's, uh, you know, that's what I love about my life is, is, is having that. And it's, uh, it's knowing how to change gears. You know, yeah. changing gears, I think, is a great analogy of how to, how do I go from a fifth gear to a neutral? For a, and I would go to neutral for a very short period of time and then it's back to fifth. But uh, that's me. And I, I, think, you I, I know, think that's a lot of, I mean, you know, knowing all three of you as well as I do, I think that, and myself included in this, if we're neutral for too long, we get into panic. Yeah, we did the self-destruct, like, you know. We self and, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> where's my Costa? You, uh, you ever heard of four burners theory? No. Okay, there's four, there's four holes. Uh, Work, there's money, there's family, and there's health. In order to be successful, you have to turn one off. In order to be super successful, you need to turn two of them off. Which ones are you going to turn off? Okay, we've got family. I think a better money. one to ask is money. which ones which ones have we turned money. off? Money, family, what do I say? Money, work, family, health. I think that's how it goes. And one other thing, I disagree with it because I think you don't need to turn one off completely, but you do need to turn, turn one down. down. Um, but I mean, with the right, would you it's, say with it, the, would, obviously it's a theory, would, would, but it's very interesting because it's like, right, cool, which is the one that I'm going to touch first? But would you say with the right level of awareness, planning, leverage, and delegation that you can have all four running? No, 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 interesting. you need to turn yeah. on. There's no so. such thing as work life balance, there is only work life priority, yes, and because, yeah, there's no such thing as work life balance, there's only work life priority, yes. If people are feeling balanced, I believe that they're feeling temporarily good. And if I think if they're feeling out of balance, they're feeling temporarily overwhelmed or frustrated. Yeah. But within a matter of an hour or a day, those emotions can change. So actually, work-life balance is how you feel in the moment based on are you satisfied? Are you based on are you satisfied that what you want as a priority, you are prioritizing? Yes. So if we make you do nothing for a month, you're going to feel very out of balance. Correct. Because you're not feeling like you're prioritizing entrepreneurship, yeah. which you want to prioritize. Yeah. But if we took you away from your son for a month, you're going to feel out of balance because yeah. you're not going to feel like you're prioritizing your son enough. Yeah. So yeah. either, there's two things that happen, I believe, in the world. You either focus on your priorities and therefore you delegate and attract people to you to deliver those priorities mm -hmm. or someone else is organizing their priorities and you're part of their delegation of yeah. their priorities. Yes. So actually, the, I believe the secret to work-life balance is are you prioritizing the areas of your life that imp are important to you in that moment well yeah. or not well? Mm -hmm. But here's the thing that happens. 
You prioritize what you perceive is right in the moment. Well, you're spending some good time with your son and business is going well. Yeah. But then you lose sight of your health and fitness and well-being. Yeah. Or you lose friends, which is common for entrepreneurs. Yeah. You haven't got time for them. Yeah. So whatever you focus on grows and whatever you don't focus on dies. No, yeah. So I think the question with these Hobbs thing. Jamie is, what do you want to grow and what do you want to die in the moment? And then you keep have to evaluate. The synchrony keep, of the, yeah, keep yeah. evaluating to go, okay, that needs to grow more and that needs to die a bit more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was Jack Welsh. Um, he said there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's worth work-life choices. He said it's all about choices. You make the choices, you go after them, and then you live with the consequences. And I would say the grass is always greener where you water it. Right. Wherever you're going to put your focus and your attention is what's going to grow, and equally where you remove it. So I think you can have all four on, but you can't have them all four on at the same level. Yeah, right? you can't have them all turned up to full. No, you can't. Yeah, you could have, and I think it's one of the Correct. arguments of you could have a great family life of a seven-figure business, or you can have, you know, and it's not to say that this is an extreme if yep. you can't have it, but you can have a great family of a seven-figure business, or you can have uh, always letting them down with an eight-figure business. But I think that's defined that, you know, there's a huge difference in responsibility between a a one million business and then 10 and then 30, and the the, the, the level of complexity there gets to, you know, so. But in some ways it gets easier, because if if you have the right team in place at that point in time, your decision making, your- But in order to get, that le- like say for a one million business to a thirty million business, that's the like, they, part. You become a, a target. Yeah. You know, and, and it's just the, the more complex, the, the more things that can go wrong. It's like yeah. you know a vintage sports car or something. Or, I don't yeah. know, like a hypercar or something. But you know, um, but you know, a thirty million per year business is a relatively complex business. There's yeah. there's going to be departments. There's going to be yeah. communication overhead. There's going to but be. But they take care of themselves more so the bigger the team you have. So probably the hardest is mid six figures. I would say. For me, it was because you're yeah. still doing everything. You might have five or six stuff, but managing them all. You yeah. do the sales, the marketing. You're trying to write your manuals and do the outsourcing and everything else. You know, I have a you know decent eight figure yeah. size business, and there's more responsibility. Yeah. There's more things that go wrong. But there's less demands on my time personally. Yeah, 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 yeah. To do them all. Yeah, that was my. And and you went through the pain of knowing what to delegate and where the bottlenecks were, and then that awareness just grew through the delegation and the allocation. And but I mean, we're all here. We're not in our offices. Yeah, yeah. I as well, just from personal experience. Yeah, I was very close to a business partner who I watched him go from zero to nine figures in ten years, and I was there for the whole ten years. And actually, that gave me some feedback of, I don't want that. Yeah. <laughs> because I oh, saw the sacrifices that was required. Or maybe you don't want how he handled it. Yes, 100%. Because he could. But part. then his first, first world feedback, you know, yeah. it's the only person I've ever seen to build yeah. a nine-figure business in 10 years. And it's like, cool. You know, yes, there's de- definitely vibes. You know, but do you think that, the, like, you know, when you look at lifestyle business versus an empire, do you believe yeah. that that individual built that at a time and place where it escalated beyond what he thought was yep. possible? Yep. And he did it by mistake. No, not no when I say not by mistake, no. but it happened by the wrong language, but it happened out of uh, yeah, luck. There was an element. Like Maybe the other way around, it I've wasn't ne- planned that yeah, I've never seen someone work that hard. I asked a billionaire once and I said to him, if there's one piece of advice you could give me, what would it be? And he said, look, he said, luck. And that was the first, that was one of the first things that he said. 
it was luck. And that was, it was very like, it was more in my infancy when I was, and I, I was very like, really? Like, you know, is there not like any like kind of strategy or like action steps? Well, kind of I mean, yeah. Bill Gates was the only person with a computer in his, yeah. in his the only computer in where he was. So and if you're in and around Silicon Valley at the time when it becomes a thing, but I know who you're talking about. And his first product wasn't his biggest product by any means. The massive products of his now are not what he was building 10 years ago. So of course there's chaos and circumstance and luck but there's also your persistence and belligerence and drive and yeah. will and ability to overcome challenges over and over that in the end it is inevitable yeah yeah, yeah. and also wanting it bad enough because you you watching him realize you didn't want it bad enough well yeah it's not like what did you see that you did not like well or that you that you i think it's the sacrifices for the one you know like i want I want a family. I want to chill. Like my my work. Like one of the, I think one of the biggest things with, with my growth now is being okay with like I want to. Work you chill a lot week. more now. I chill you so ever, much. You know, yeah, I yeah. never used to value time off whatsoever. I thought it was a weakness. These soldiering me. Our work people. No one works hard as me. Now he's at the spa every Thursday. Can't get hold of him. I'm at spa every th Thursday and that. And I, I think as well, like you know, isn't it? You said business first and that. I like. I know I've got skills, so I know that yeah. I'm like I always say to myself, I have everything I need, and everything else is a is a bonus. And it's a bit like this backwards law of when you don't, you know, when you yeah. do the work but you don't want it, you get it. And it's this reality, you know. Like I spoke about YouTubers, I'm like the guys that are doing seven, eight figures on YouTube now. I've been doing it for ten years, and they would still be doing it if they weren't getting seven, eight figures. So they fucking love doing it, and it's this backwards law of doing something you enjoy. Where somebody comes to me and says, oh, I want to build a YouTube channel so I can make ad revenue. Yeah. So you're going to be fucked because you're going to spend a year, two years doing something, not get the return, and then and then finish. And I'm like, I know that I enjoy what it is that I'm doing. I'm happy to pivot. And I know I've got fucking skills which are very valuable to other people. So I can chill. Because if it goes to zero, I'll find another way of getting it back. Um, Do you ever worry about it? actually allows me. I, I have no fear of it's all going to be taken away because... 2019, I started with a pound to my name when I exited the business and I got So you back. couldn't get lower? You could, I had a pound to my you name in 2019 yeah. and I got back to a multi-six-figure business in 60 days. And that was down to having the skills. Going back to what I said, if you stripped us all naked in a street... It was more than skills. It's your resilience. It's your tenacity. It's your determination. It's, it's your... like the one word. But I think as well, I have no fear that I'm going to lose that, which allows me to calm the fuck down. And interesting, that brings back to the alpha male. I think it's about the inner confidence, and people mistake confidence with arrogance, and they're two completely. Well, I think it's it's things. more a matter of the word defiance. Yes. Defiance of the opinion of others, yes. right through to tax, legal, fear of scaling, fear of growing a yeah. team, like sheer and utter violence of. Are violent the defiance of. Uh, uh, Where were you there for a minute, Phil? I don't know, He's in Pulp Fiction in his head, wasn't he? Sheer and utter violence. Uh, sheer and utter violent defiance against the odds, right? Um, and you know, I think you could be successful and not be confident. Because I don't think I've ever, I don't ever think I've ever said this um, publicly, but I'm not. I don't think I'm a very confident person. No, I think you can be successful, not be confident. But but it's a different thing. That inner confidence. I think I you have. I, I, I think do. I, I think it. you've got I inner don't. confidence. I, I think, think I have it. I'll, that's a belief. I'll figure it out. Yeah, well, that's confidence. It's that's inner belief. It's not. You believe that you'll figure it out. Do you not? I believe, yeah, I, I believe I can figure it out, fumbling along, and one thing I've noticed about fear and. 
you it's know, not that you that don't feel the fear. The it's, it's not that you don't feel the fear, but you have an inner belief that even, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway, you have an inner belief that you will figure it out. And you have a, yeah. a like, observing you over the years, you have a very deep level of curiosity. You're a very curious person. Like even with the questions that you ask and the the open loops that you would leave when you create content, like you, you know, you're, you're you're very curious about the universe and how all this everything in between works. Yeah, you're fucking you know? fucking relentless. I'm like fucking hell. I, I see you sometimes. I'm like, I'm like, Rob's on again. But not confident. Just so you know. What's the best way to overcome grief? I don't think there is one. I don't think there's a best way to overcome grief. I don't even know if you do overcome grief. Uh, I, I talk as somebody who's widowed. Um, when my son was only three, three and a half, I, I think that it's, I talk about tattoo, like the, the grief is like a tattoo on your soul. Um, it, it fades over time, but it's always there. You know, it's like if you've, if you've got a scar somewhere, you, you can still feel it, but you can't see it. Uh, people tell you that time heals all wounds. I don't believe that. They tell you that time will make things better. I don't believe that from personal experience. And I think it depends on what type of grief, who was the relationship with. Like, there's so many variables to, to, to grief. For me, there is no best way, there is no solution, there is no one way. There is only the way that you find in your own way. There are things that will definitely help you along that path, which is having the support of really good people around you and also being able to be open and honest about it to be able to talk to people because um for me i went through ptsd for two three years afterwards i don't even have memories of that period of time like really i've got like two to three years i don't have any memories at all and for me it does feel like you know i have grief is a tattoo on my soul is always there but it fades over time right it fades over time it, it is never going to go away but you learn, you learn to live with it. And, and it's not that you'll never be happy again, it's not that you'll never love again, but it's, things are in a different way. It's like life has a different hue, it has a different shade. It's, it's just not the same. And I think <coughs> trying to pretend that... I, I've never, like, I've been very touched with, I've never been through a bad stage of grief. The only thing that I'm very aware of is how I react to when shit hits the fan as you know as an ex-soldier it's like right i have to be the person who takes responsibility now i have to be the serious logical person because there's going to be lots of people around me we're not going to be able to cope like me uh and that's a fact but also at the same time there are what's it six or seven stages of grief and i know that i will 100 when it happens because people experience will, will experience grief as a fact of life i've got to make sure that i come back to the first couple because I'll go straight into acceptance instead of actually having that time for myself. And that's very much, you know, I know my, my own pattern when I've done like the charity events and that I go very, you know, you do something amazing and then you want to self-sabotage because you don't want this, you know, and I'm very self-aware of that. So when that does happen, I'm, And if you don't go I'm, through those first stages of grief, you won't get through grief. Yeah. And it, it won't fade. And for, for, for me, the challenge was I didn't feel I had the time or the luxury of being in that because it was my partner, it was my son's dad. So I, I had to skip to the acceptance and, and taking care of, 
of my son and taking care of like how was I going to provide for everything so I think for me that was probably one of the things that caused the PTSD that I didn't have the space or the time or the capacity to yeah. to go through those stages I had no choice but to fast track to this is what's happened I have to just deal with it and I think that affects how you get through grief does money make you happy fucking money makes you so happy everything in life is better with money and everything with in life is worse without money the reason i can say that money makes you happy is because you have to split test it and measure it and the only way you can split test if money has a measurable effect on happiness is everything else is equal and you add or subtract money and I cannot think of anything in life where everything else is equal, where you add money, it's worse, and when you take money away, it's better, unless we're talking about greed and power and violence, which of course are fueled and exaggerated by money because money is an enabler. But this experience with us, if we couldn't afford the cameras and couldn't pay Harry to be here and couldn't be in this nice place, we'd still have each other, but these add to the experience. So I believe that everything is better with money and everything is worse without it. I would agree with that um, entirely, but once money is there, I think there are, you know, there are other more important things outside of that money that happiness can be found within that need to be there as well to coincide with money. Um, so I think definitely on your point, money makes everything easier. It allows us to help more people. It provides safety, it provides opportunity, it provides the ability to support others. There's no question about that. But I think, you know, trusting yourself and loving yourself above and beyond that is quite hard to comprehend without money, if that makes sense, because you can't function in society. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you were to look at it from a, a completely... You can't spirit, basically sustain yourself. Yeah, if you can't sustain yeah. yourself, you can't survive, right? So, I mean, you know, you could talk about self-love and appreciation and all that, but, you know, if you do not have money, you cannot function in society. You're drowning, aren't you? Which is essentially creating a lot more problems for one to realistically deal with. Um, but if you have self-love and appreciation and money, you will know that money is a byproduct of whatever it is that you've been doing to generate that. And that self-love and that self-trust is a, a very peaceful place to be in money. It, I mean, money is a byproduct, really. Um, yeah, yeah, totally cool. My, my thoughts are, I always say this, like, when you're drowning and someone's trying to save you, they say, don't jump in and save someone because they'll drag you down and kill you, like, too. Um, and people are drowning in problems, and when you're drowning in financial problems, mm. you're just spluttering, and anyone that tries to pull you out, you'll pull them down. And I love that analogy. Um, because you need to get your shit, I would say you need to get your shit squared emotionally, physically and financially if you want to contribute to this world. If we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food's not cheap or free, no. shelter's not cheap or free, neither's warmth. So if we were to look at, you know, we need to go up that hierarchy of needs to and do You, said, you said earlier on about, I think it was somebody looking a partner, you know, in order to be loved by somebody else you have to have something to give. 100%. Like success is based on what you bring give, to the table, what right? you bring to the table. Um, and it's not just money, but then of course, yeah, but you, skills, can't, you, know, you can't be happy if you're fucking starving. I think it's about the context. So I think it's, it's about the, the context of the conversation. Money makes things easier. 
And if we go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I believe that once you get to a certain point, above that point, it doesn't actually make you any yeah. happier. So it depends on what your point is. Is your point a million pound house? Because if you move from the million pound house to the 10 million pound house, are you going to be nine million pound happier? There is a point beyond which, and our points might all be different, but beyond that, the constant search for the additional money isn't going to make you any happier than the place that you're already at. Yeah. And it's all about context because in my personal situation, I, I would give up all the money I have to be able to have my partner back. So if I had a choice between all the money and my partner, I'd take my partner and be poor. That doesn't mean that I don't think that money makes your life easier and that the, the byproduct of money can create memories and happy, happy circumstances, but fundamentally beyond a point, and I believe we've all got a point, beyond that, the money doesn't actually make you, is, is a diminishing return. So when you've covered your Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and whether it's a million pound house, a 10 million pound house, five cars, two cars, one, whatever it is for you, beyond that point, the money's not delivering you the additional happiness. Yeah, I think the quest for money is a distortion based off a lot of what people perceive on social media, but knowing that you control the, you need to know what you need and you need to know what you want and realizing that you're in control of that expectation that is a very liberating belief once somebody realizes it um, but I do believe you know one of the most dangerous positions for an entrepreneur to be in is is when they are you know essentially rich they've completed all their goals and they've got a lot of cash in the bank that they don't know what to do with it's a very dangerous situation and, and one can go backwards with um, that but in that situation so I remember a podcast with Joe DeSanto who owns Spartan Race and he does this 72 hour think that puts you through hell. He says it's mainly done for like really wealthy people, millionaires. And I said to him, do you think it's once you've created the top of the needs of self-actualization that you crave to go down the bottom just to feel alive again? And now these people are signing up for your mm. thing just so they can get back to just the basics of food, warmth and shelter. And he's just like, I never thought of it like that. And I was like, well, mm. you know, because some of the times when we have everything, we're like, cool, when did we feel great? Or when did we feel like we're working towards something? And it's when we were back at the beginning. It's like, I remember when we were hustling and this, that and the other, how good that felt that we, we were working towards something. Yeah. You know, it's I think one of the biggest things in success is becoming worthy of keeping it. Not just making it, but keeping it and the keeping it and the sustainability yeah. of that is the hardest thing because when you start making money, you're, I believe the pains of, and I may be completely off with this, but the pain of making money and essentially getting to a point where you're self-sufficient or financially free, but the worries around tax, not knowing how to work with it, inflation, losing money, the fear of being robbed, or the those are very, very painful fears. When you're poor, you've got drive and you've got hunger to go up, which is, can be exciting and can be very liberating because you're feeling you're growing at the same time. But when you're at a place where, you know, money is essentially no object, but you're worried about like yeah, everybody you go to is taking you for a ride or you're getting, you know, somebody drives up your house and sees your house and slaps an extra 30, 40% on, you know, that it, it creates a sometimes an element of, you know, exclusion. And I don't know if you can add well, to that, but I think everything you've just been talking about is just um, the downsides of money because everything has a downside. Yes. Um, and money has a downside. Yeah, yeah. When you've got a lot of money, 10% 
inflation is probably 10%, let's be real about it, it's not 7 it's probably yeah. 10 10% on £100 million pounds, fucking a lot of money. Yeah. So you want to get rid of that. So, so you're just talking about the natural downsides of money. It's funny how money, when the reason I always say, yes, money makes you happy. The answer to that question is because you have to take out all the other variables. But what everyone does is put all the other variables back in. Well, when you, say you know, like variables. for example, Shell's example of what, of course you'd, of course you'd spend £100 million to get your... Um, you know, your, your husband back, of course you would, but that's actually not the question. That's an, a false binary equation. Yeah, yeah. The, it's for, for you to say, does money make you happy or happier or not, everything else in the equation has to be equal. When you say take out the variables, just elaborate on what you mean on that, like as in take out. So if everything else is equal and the only difference is money, is the addition of money right, yes, going to make better or yeah, worse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you happier or less happy yes, with yes, the addition yes. of money? Because people say money doesn't make you happy. Well, money on of it, in and of itself doesn't make you happy, but that's not about money. That's about other things that are not to do with money. So if, if you make a choice to work 16 hours a day, seven days a week, and you have a lot of money, but you have no time, and that makes you unhappy, that's not the money's fault. It's the sacrifice it's of the time. It's the sacrifice of the time that's yeah. the issue. So if all things are equal, and the only difference is money, is your life happier or not? Not being able to solve problems makes you unhappy, and money can solve. And if you have a problem that time. money can solve, you don't have a problem. Money solves. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah, we got 10 minutes left so super quick for right, 20 yeah, that, seconds per person on this how long we're talking basically on super quick yeah, if you only money. had a thousand pounds left what would you do if i only had a thousand pounds left i'd go and find a mentor with it and learn from them what i needed to know to be successful yeah and invest in the skills to be able to help you sell okay so i've only got a thousand pounds so i haven't got a house or anything just a thousand pounds to my name <laughs> So I'd obviously go and find somewhere to live for my family for the time being. Uh, I'll go and find a phone and a laptop, and I'm assuming I've got the skills. So food, warmth, shelter, and then somewhere to be able to build up my, my income again. I'll go and stay with Jamie in that food, warmth, and shelter <laughs> and get a mentor. Rob's on Google. I would buy a pay-as-you-go phone and I'd call these three and buy the four of us lunch and figure that fucking shit out. Network is your net worth. That's what I would do. How do you sell anything to anyone? You find out what's most important to them in their life and you link what you've got to sell with what's most important to them so that they deem that what you're selling is the thing they want the most and they'll buy it. Um, you find out what problems they're looking to solve and show them that you can solve their problems um, and they need to pay attention in order to do that. Same as that with these guys. <laughs> with integrity. Phil gives no fucks anymore. <laughs> You sell with integrity. How you what sell, does that mean? What does how integrity you sell, mean? How you sell anything to anyone is with integrity because that means that you're not going to try to sell something to someone who doesn't need it, will never use it. You, If you sell it with integrity... You, you mean want, like this place you made us all pay for? <laughs> <laughs> it is a nice place. And you sold us fucking hard. <laughs> We've got seven bedrooms, there's four of us. I'm going to sleep to 3am in one bedroom. 7am in the next one. You this table. There's yeah, hey, you never have a table. Banquet. Where are the 18 other billionaires that are meeting us later? I feel like you should probably take some video footage of the bloody bedrooms. Have you taken footage I've not, I will now. Yeah, this needs, needs B-roll around yeah, there while we're talking. It does. It does. Does pineapple belong on pizza? 
Oh no, because it only comes usually with ham and I'm a vegetarian. I think if you like pineapple on your pizza, then you should be proud of that and not worry about what anyone thinks about what should be on a pizza. If it's a personal taste preference, then yes. I like pineapple on my pizza. If you're going to put pineapple on pizza, fuck, eat it. <laughs> Were you struggling in your research at this point? <laughs> <laughs> it's a left field question. Uh, next question. Is Elon Musk a genius or is he dangerous and to be feared? Bit of both, like every human. I think he's, I think he's a bit of both. Yeah, I would go with that one. Elon Musk is an amazing entrepreneur with a very high risk threshold, prepared to plow everything and go all in on something where others don't have that appetite. I think he's also highly um, self-aware, but like every genius, they have flawed parts of their nature, and you'd probably say that maybe empathy doesn't seem to be his highest. Trait. If Superman was perfect, you'd think he's a prick, though, wouldn't you? So, true you need, story. You need kryptonite yeah. to make you human. Former Man United footballer Kieran Richardson, who you've had on the show a few times, Rob, and David Blaine, Chris Martin from Coldplay, have talked about the importance of fasting. Is it truly important to fast for your mind, for your body, or is it just too, um, are the health risks just too much? Uh, I personally fast because time efficient it's effective and it also builds up my appetite for a point in the day when I want to enjoy my food and when I can sit and relax and, and have a loaf of bread have a full loaf of bread and uh, essentially go to bed on a big full tummy and be nice and nice and rested so I, I I eat once a day that works very well for me now with my routine I enjoy it I enjoy a larger meal and um, I make the most out of it that works for me Okay, correlation doesn't imply causation. People will talk about intermittent fasting or any kind of fasting. Um, one of the main reasons being is one of the biggest problems that people have is they eat too many calories. Um, and one of the good things about fasting is you're not restricting macros, proteins, fats, and carbs, you're restricting time. So if you inevitably have less time to eat and you're up and asleep at a certain time, you will eat less calories. And if you eat less calories, you'll lose more weight. And when you are in better shape, you're not drowning in your physical problems, so you can perform at a higher level. So fasting is a strategy for an outcome. If you know that, then you can do what the fuck you like with yeah. your diet and still get the same result. I have no fucking idea, but I eat all the time and I can't even fast for like 12 minutes. Intermittent eating, not intermittent <laughs> fasting. I'm fucking way over my head. I don't know shit about this. I'm just going to uh, defer to you Bit two. Yeah. yeah, I'm just going to defer. If these guys say fasting's good, I'm going to run with them. Who controls the world? Me. <laughs> oh, who controls the world? I don't think that this one person or one flat fam. I don't think that this one person or one family. Fam Jay, did you want to? So it's, it's definitely Vanguard and. Is it Blackrock? <laughs> <laughs> Vanguard and Blackrock. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, are. I think. Um, I don't think there's a, a particular person, but there are definitely people that can, that you allow to control your world. Oh, I like that one. Mm. And you've got to be aware that, you know, it's this kind of thing that you need to be self-aware of your, your own environment. Because if you don't, then somebody else will control it. And with us being on our phones all the time um, and being influenced all the time by what we see, um, as I said, it's more of a left field kind of question, but I think we're all controlled in our own way by things and different things. Did capitalism fix the COVID crisis? 
like, was it firstly was it fixed, and secondly, what we're defining as capitalism? That is not a quick fire question. That's not a quick fire. Capitalism did not fix COVID because COVID isn't fixed, and there is no pure capitalism. There is no pure free market. There are only very evolved hybrids. I mean, even. You, you vote Labour in this Labour and Conservatives and, and you know one was more social and one was more capital but now they're all just a mishmash there is no free market there is no defined capitalism um, capitalism in its most efficiently governed way i.e. some intervention to protect people but not too much in much intervention to stop growth I think it's the best financial system that we've so far designed. Because you have to have selfish human reward because if you don't, then no one can get their needs met. And why would I want to work all hmm. my life to give you a load of stuff that you're going to take from me? You need incentive, I need incentive. And socialism and communism doesn't create enough incentive. So it's the best system we've got, but they're all just hybrids and bastards. None of them, but there's no proper system anymore. That's Maybe that's the problem. Seconds. Yeah, but I didn't answer the last one. So I've, oh, I've yeah, chucked yeah, my 20 yeah, seconds sorry. in there. Sorry, How'd you answer that in 20 seconds? You don't. Oh, okay. That's the game, mate. What's the best social media platform for delivering your message? The one that you're consistent with. The one that you love turning up to and showcasing your information on and presenting your signal, as they call it. The, one, the best social media platform for sharing your message is the one that controls your freedom of speech the least. The one social mm. media platform that's the best I go with Jane. The one that you actually want to use, the one that you're going to show up for. Are they like writing or yeah, video absolutely. or audio? So it could be or blogging. Or it doesn't have to be TikTok. TikTok. It could be a hundred percent. It doesn't have to be video. It doesn't have to be audio. It doesn't have to be. It could be whatever. Some people whatever whatever message, you're going to show like up video. and be consistent with. Yeah. Yeah. Have you noticed this is quite a wobbly? I have. <laughs> have you noticed how far out? I feel like I'm going to be over there in a minute. <laughs> Fish will forever think it's stupid. It's just on its ability to kind of trade. So many people trying to do videos when they're writers. Yeah. Vice but an ultimate question, what's your honest thoughts on crypto? There is some utility in it, for sure. There's utility in it. Um, uh, depending you, on what crypto, but there is utility in it. Ask me again in two years. <laughs> I, I, th I think crypto is a long-term plan that is not for the faint-hearted. And I think, personally, it's a place where I'm investing for my future, for my pension but it's not a place where I'm looking to make quick returns. My honest opinion on crypto is that the current financial system needed disruption and crypto is disrupting and that is good, but it is highly volatile and unproven, so you have to be very careful. Yeah, diversify. Final question, and I'll let you talk about this as long as you want to. Are you happy and fulfilled in life? Yes. I'm absolutely not happy and not un I'm absolutely not happy and not fulfilled in life because I think it's a momentary place and time and you can't say I'm happy in life. You can only say I'm happy or fulfilled in the moment. And tomorrow something different will come along to disrupt that. Yeah, let me add to that. Like, definite yes, but also I believe I'm at. I go through uh, ebbs and flows. Go ebbs and flows. Yeah. I, but then also, you know, I, I toil with some things. I, I have soundboards, but... I, you know, ever since I had a massive kind of breakdown in 2016, I, I kept a very simple, what I call my meltdown management scale, which is every day, health, wealth, productivity, connectivity, health, one to five, if it, if it, one being shit, five being good. 
wealth, physical, and uh, sorry, financial and social. One shit, five good. Um, connectivity, connecting people off social media in real life. One shit, five good. And productivity, ticking the boxes and things that I need to get done. One shit, five good. Uh, I do that every day. What that allows me to do is see which one I need to focus a little bit more on this week or this day. And if one's, of course, very high up, so I focus less, it's just I don't focus on that. Um, and if I was to have done that in 2016, I would have seen that my connectivity was at one for about six to eight months, and I needed to sort that out. So I would say that I am happy and fulfilled right here, right now in this moment. And I think like Rob, I feel like it, it I think actually feel you just said it's an ebb and a flow. I don't think any of us can always be happy and always be fulfilled. And I think by definition as an entrepreneur, we, we can, I think the important lesson is to be fulfilled in the journey and not wait to get to the destination. And, and happiness has so many variables on, on what's happening in your own life and what's happening to the lives of the people that you care about. So I think that the goal is to find as many happy moments as you can in life and to find as many ways to be fulfilled as you can in life with the knowledge that that's not always going to be possible. Hard things, easy life, easy things, hard life. Yeah. People look at me like I'm fucking nuts, jump in the sea every day because it's hard, it's not nice. It makes you fucking happy afterwards. But I think a, a, a great point, you know, it's on average, do I feel happy and fulfilled? And the answer to that is yes. I do go through moments where they're very dark or, or, or low, um, but I always look to find meaning in them. What is this informing me? What is this telling me? But I have a, a, a trust in the flow of my life. And if I look back at any chaotic event in my life, it has always had a predetermined theme that ends up with me being in the same place of knowing that I trusted myself or you've done this or you've now evolved or grown and that is a very liberating and powerful feeling when you clock on to that and I suppose I said earlier on about making decisions from vision not circumstance and I asked myself a question at the end of every day if I was to relive today over and over again for the rest of the year or a thousand times over am I bringing myself closer to who I want to become or am I pulling myself further away and it's a it's a beautiful little question to just put into perspective. Sometimes that answer is no. Sometimes that answer is yes. But then I get the self-awareness to, you know. I'm trying to find it. It says memento more somewhere. It says remember that you have to die. And that makes me very happy. Mm. Because mm. that's one thing that's inevitable in all of us on this table, that we're not going to be here someday. So do mm. something fucking about it that makes you enjoy that time. So if you enjoyed this content, make sure you hit us with some comments and discuss some of the topics we've raised. And remember this, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything.